I think one of the things that this industry brings is everyone in it, everyone who is associated with this industry cares so much about the communities and the customers that they serve. And I think that that resonates with a lot of women. And we need to get that message out more in the engineering ranks, in the finance ranks. I mean, this is this is just a wonderful industry and we're all fortunate to, to be a part of it because we're helping to build the lives of our customers and communities so that they can reach their potential. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. March is Women's History Month, and EEI honors and recognizes the achievements and contributions of the women who work throughout the electric power industry to deliver resilient clean energy to customers. As we make progress on our industry-wide diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, we know it is important to create career pathways for employees that can lead to executive leadership opportunities. In today's episode, EEI General Counsel, Corporate Secretary, and Senior Vice President of Clean Energy, Emily Fisher, We'll be speaking with leaders at two of our member companies. First, we will be hearing from Puget Sound Energy President and CEO, Mary Kipp, and then we will hear from American Electric Power Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, Lisa Barton. They will cover how female representation has changed in the workplace, how companies are empowering their female employees, Mary and Lisa's pathways to leadership, and more. Emily, take it away. Thank you, Brian. And thank you, Mary, for joining me today. I am so looking forward to to having a chance to talk to you. Um, I think my first question for you is, as Brian mentioned, it is Women's History Month. Does that mean anything in particular to you as you reflect on on your journey as a woman leader in the electric industry? Emily, thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I just want to thank EEI as well for doing all it does to support and celebrate women. I I think it's been a a really incredible journey together. Women's History Month has actually gotten more important to me as I've gotten older. Uh, When I was younger, I really didn't give it a second thought. But now as I look at the differences between opportunities available to generations before mine and generations after mine, as well as my own, I think it's really important that we keep it in a historical perspective so that we can see the evolution. Sometimes the evolution is quick, sometimes it's slow, sometimes we step back, but I love as a society taking a minute to celebrate the accomplishments of women. Because as we know, most of history is written by men. So uh, sometimes when we are just studying history generally, the accomplishments of women can be lost. I think that's a great answer. I I kind of feel similarly about Women's History Month. I probably, when I was younger, didn't think too much about it, but it is an opportunity to to pause and reflect about how women have advanced, particularly in our industry, and to think about the importance of, of representation and leadership, too. I know that I was really personally excited when you were first named CEO um, to me, you're kind of dual representation. Uh, you're a woman leader, but like me, you're a lawyer. and You don't often see lawyers helming some of our member companies. Um, so maybe it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about how, your thoughts about what representation means, particularly in our industry, which I think anyone would um, sort of have to admit has been sort of dominated by men for a really long time. 
You know, you're right, Emily, it has. But um, kind of looking back over my time sitting around the EEI table of CEOs, and I started, as you know, in, in my prior job at El Paso Electric, I think that was 2015, 2016. And I remember the first time I sat there, one, being intimidated, because it is intimidating, regardless of if you're a woman or a man, to sit there for the first time. Um, but also because of the, there, there was a very small number of women at that table. And one of the, the women I always admired, and she's retired now, but is Connie Lau. And she and some others immediately reached out to me to let me know that I had support in that room. And that was really, really helpful to me. Uh, moving forward now, and it's really strange as I think about it. I think I said this to Tom Kuhn last week. I think I'm now one of the more experienced CEOs in this industry, which it's amazing how fast that happens, right? Just in terms of, of, of time and role, because I have now Puget Sound Energy as well. But moving forward to 2022, I was really heartened last week to see more women around the table, right? And especially coming back, it was my first meeting back after the pandemic and just seeing the number of new faces and the number of whom uh, were women was really positive to me. So I, I'm going to give a small criticism of our industry, but then I want to celebrate too. Part of it is when I say I, I'm excited about the number of women, we're still not to equal representation. We're, we're still needing more. And we're seeing a lot of new CEOs who are men and they're very accomplished and very wonderful, but we still need more in the industry. But the other thing that I wanted to comment on is people who don't know our industry tend to think we're a lot less diverse than we actually are, especially when it comes to female representation. And I actually think that if you compare us to some others, and especially in tech, we're well ahead. Doesn't mean we should rest on our laurels, but I think we've done a really terrific job, kind of like we've done a really terrific job in carbon reduction. And sometimes people who aren't familiar with us uh, don't realize uh, the work that's been going on for many, many years. So I, th I think we should celebrate ourselves a little bit too. I'm so glad you mentioned uh, the EEI board meeting from earlier in March because I had the exact same reaction, especially because I'm the I'm the corporate secretary, so I was taking attendance and I was like, oh wow, there are a lot more women at this table than I feel like we'd had in the past. And I was both I had the same reaction. I was both celebrating that and I was hoping for more. I was actually. I think the most diverse board table I've ever seen in terms of women and other kinds of diversity. And I was really heartened. And so I totally agree that as an industry, we kind of need to tell our story more about what an exciting place it is. You mentioned carbon reductions. So that's my favorite topic. Um, maybe we talk about that more later. Um, but as an industry, we really have an exciting story about how we're the future and how we're trying to diversify our workforce. And I think having women leaders really sends that message to folks who are thinking, you know, as they get out of college or as they're looking to start a career, is this the right place for me? But um, I mentioned that you're a lawyer and I'm a lawyer too. Talk a little bit about your career journey and how you um, got from being an attorney to being the CEO of, a, of an energy company. So I like many things in life. Some of us admit it more than others, but a lot of it was luck in my journey. Um, I was working, I was wanting to work in El Paso and I really wanted to work in-house. There weren't really big law firms in El Paso. So I thought in-house would be my best option. And the best in-house option was El Paso Natural Gas. So I actually started my career in El Paso Natural Gas, no relation to El Paso Electric. Although ultimately I worked in the same building for very many years as I transitioned. Um, I think 
today, uh, a legal career is actually a really great way to get into this industry and really become a leader in it, just because everything is so driven by regulation and law, right? As we look at the transitions that we're going through in the industry, for example, it starts at the legislature, whether it's federal or state, and then it moves down to the regulatory commission. So I think as lawyers, for better or worse, we're very good at reading, you know, very detailed documents, <clears throat> understanding things and understanding the nuances of how to make things work. I also think, um, contrary to the stereotype of lawyers as being combative, I actually, in my experience, most lawyers I've worked with who are successful lawyers are very collaborative people like you, Emily, you know, working to find solutions that that work for everyone, may not be perfect for everyone, but actually work. And so interestingly, I think it's actually probably if I dissect it, my legal background that caused me to want to take the job at, at uh, PSE. I was not looking at the time I was in the midst of a transaction, but Washington State had passed at that time the Clean Energy Transformation Act, which I think is probably uh, the most progressive law in the country in terms of decarbonization. We now have two others, uh, the Climate Commitment Act, and um, we also have a low carbon fuel standard. So we've got our work cut out for us, that's for sure. But I think being a lawyer and having had the experience and the, the really the privilege of having gotten to work with a lot of engineers over my life, I think it's given people like me, people like you, the ability to look at, okay, how do we take technologies? How do we take uncertainty? And how do we both shape and apply the laws and regulations to make all of these things a reality. So um, I think it's been fun and I think we're kind of in the perfect place at the perfect time. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think electric companies are kind of at the center of trying to solve all of the big problems. And so it is an exciting time to be in the industry. As you were making that transition from uh, law and policy, and as you pointed out, you never really leave that an electric company because we are such a heavily regulated industry. But as you were making that transition from maybe having a more legally focused career to becoming an executive, were there particular mentors or you know people who really helped you on that journey? And can you talk a little bit about maybe any of the advice they'd given you? Yeah. So, so my key mentor, I've and I've talked about him a lot, but it's Tom Shockley. And he uh, was on the board of El Paso Electric. I actually went back to El Paso Electric from FERC and I went back for personal reasons. And I thought, this is probably the end of my career. You know, nothing good's going to come from this. But I decided to make the best of it and to try to shape things and work on interesting things that I wanted to. And by the way, everyone down the hall then in the executive offices, except one person, were all white men. So very different world, right? But our, our then CEO left. And Tom Shockley came off our board um, as interim CEO. And he had also been chief operating officer at AEP for a while. Um, and I started getting to know him. And I had so much respect for him for a variety of reasons. And many of them, um, and I'm glad that you're talking to Lisa, because many of them, I think, are very much AEP values. And um, he respected our community. He respected the employees. He had great respect for the environment and doing things kind of in a, in a logical and yet compassionate way. And one of my favorite things about him, other than the fact that he really loved and respected his wife, which I always judge men by, um, but he, uh, he would say the same things to me sitting one-on-one -on -one in his office that he would say publicly. And I loved that true alignment and that transparency. And even though he was a white man in his 70s, he, I think, exhibited values that were ahead of his time. And so he was a, a huge mentor to me. 
I didn't know at the time, but he was charged with coming up with ideas for successors at El Paso. And I did not even consider myself in that realm. Um, but I did notice he kept giving me more and more work. And, um, you know, one day there I was and, and had to go meet with the board and, and talk to folks about that. So it, it, it worked out really, really well. In terms of advice, he gave me, he had, he had a couple of funny ones that I really like that those of you who know me well have heard me repeat way too often. But one is you can't fall out of a ditch, which I really like. <laughs> Another one is you don't have to drink it as hot as they serve it, which for a long time I had no idea what that meant, but it means you don't have to make a decision right away. You can actually think about things a little bit. But um, really it wasn't words, it was more the characteristics, the behaviors and the beliefs that he exhibited that made me really, really um, believe this industry was the right place to make a difference and do a lot of good because we touch just about everyone and we have a huge role in climate. And as you know, um, that's one of the things that is most important to me in all of the work that I do. That's terrific. I, I love the idea of uh, mentors coming from unexpected places. Like you said, uh, a much older gentleman who'd been in the industry for a long time, being the champion of a younger woman. Also, I'm totally going to use you don't have to drink it as hot as they serve <laughs> it. I love that. Um, and that's, I think that's an important thing for a leader. Sometimes when people come to you and they tell you something's happening, you feel like you have to have an answer right away. And so we should all take a deep breath. But um, I think and one thing that your story really highlighted is that often women don't see themselves in leadership positions and somebody has to come tap you on the shoulder and say, no, I see you. And I think you have potential. How, how do you think we can do that within our companies and with, within the industry? Are there specific programs that we could be focused on so that we let women with potential know that we see that they have a, a trajectory? Or do you have any thoughts about that that you can share? Yeah, I do. So if I if I can go back to El Paso, actually, my first day that I became president at El Paso, um, a group of women in the company had approached me about starting a, a women's leadership group. So we actually announced it. It was their work, not mine, but we announced it on my first year as president. And I, I believe that's continued to this day. So I think that's made a difference. It's a place where women can talk about leadership, can be vulnerable and talk about experiences that if you're not a woman, you probably haven't had them. Although we did have a couple of male members and it was really nice to have some allies in there. Um, I have to say that PSC, long before I got here and I had nothing to do with it, and I'll give, I'll give Kimberly Harris, my predecessor, a lot of credit on this, is really having um, a lot of women in senior leadership positions. And I think just having that visibility and seeing, you know what, they're there. This is a normal thing. This is actually possible. This is potential. I think that's really important. And of course, we have a lot of um, employee affinity group type things, employee support groups and, you know, across the diversity spectrum. And I think that's really important, not just for women, but for everyone. I'll tell you recently um, in my hiring, uh, when I came up here to the Pacific Northwest, obviously, it's very different from being in the desert Southwest, which is mostly Latino. Um, when I came up here, I, I was struck by, <clears throat> in some ways, the lack of racial diversity, I would say, in, in the officer team. And I wanted to make a big difference there. And so that was that was something I'd really, really been focusing on and continue. And I know all of us across the industry have done that. And we've got to continue to do that and make it part of the fabric of what we do. And it can't be just be a flash in the pan. So I thought I had lost focus um, on looking at women enough and thinking about how do I help women uh, in their careers because I'd been focused on DEI more broadly and especially people of color. 
so I thought, you know, I'm just going to hire a couple of summer interns uh, myself for the CEO office. And I want to have them have a couple of characteristics. One is I wanted them to be women. And two, I wanted them to have liberal arts backgrounds because, and that's a whole nother discussion, but I'm a big believer that it's not just STEM, it's also the liberal arts are really, really critical to our success as an industry and actually to our country as a whole. So I've hired a couple of women interns. It's a very small thing, but I think it's significant because what I'm showing the workforce through my actions as CEO, because luckily I have the title that makes people sit up and listen is, Despite the fact that right now we're really, really focusing on advancing people of color, which is critically important because I think even in the revolution that happened for women, people of color were still left behind. Um, I still wanna make sure that we're reaching out to young women. And in particular, I wanna show young women, especially from liberal, liberal arts backgrounds, that the utility space and the energy space is a really interesting place to be because so many people think about it as purely engineering. But if I take an example of, of these two interns who are coming in, one is going to work in our sustainability space, and I think that's going to be perfect. The other one is going to work in our tribal relations area, and obviously here in the Pacific Northwest, that's really important to us. So I want, I want to show women that it's not the stereotype of what you think. There's all kinds of opportunities here, and we also need to continue to informally mentor people. So um, I spend quite a bit of time when college students reach out to me and want to talk to me, whether they're women or men, really, if I can, and I can fit it into my schedule, having those one-on-one -on -one conversations. And I think that that's just really, really important for all of us to, to do as leaders and incumbent on us to take some time to give that back. That's such a generous use of your time. I, I'm often struck um, about at least generationally that I never would have approached a CEO, but I love, I think that's just a Gen X problem, but I love that people are approaching you and asking you and allowing you to be sort of the, the human face of a really dynamic industry that values diversity and that has places for a really broad set of people to be in leadership positions. I wanted to go back and flag one thing that you sort of glossed over that I actually think is really amazing. And that is, I think you are the first CEO who is a woman whose predecessor was also a woman that I can think of in the industry. And I just think that's a great, like first thing for us to recognize, you know? Yeah, that, it yeah. is. And, and there was quite a bit of press at the time um, on that. And I hope that we see more women to women transitions and hopefully we will over time. I, 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 my fingers are crossed. I think there are some opportunities uh, as we look around at the industry and some of our current leaders. I also really like your focus on bringing people not just of diverse backgrounds, but diverse educational interests and diverse skill sets into the industry. I think sometimes that also can maybe um, maybe keep some women candidates out who think, oh, this is just a, an industry for engineers. We need engineers. They're super important for us to keep the lights on. But there are a lot of different roles within an electric company. You don't necessarily have to be from an, an engineering background to be able to, to play a real role. Um, you know, I'm actually a utility lawyer, child of a utility lawyer. So I often feel, which is not normal, <laughs> but I often feel like a little bit that I was so lucky because I had that as part of my ecosystem when I was thinking about where would be a cool place to work, um, that I knew that that electric companies had a lot to offer. Are, are there other particular like women-focused initiatives in addition to this really cool thing where you're tapping people to come spend time with you this summer? Are there other women-focused initiatives that, that Puget Sound is focused on or that you're interested in? You know. 
there isn't anything specific right now other than kind of the employee groups that I've talked about. Like I said, I think we've gotten to a point where we have really good representation of women across the organization. Obviously, it's never enough. Um, but for the time being, we've been tr really trying to put our resources that we would use to focus on diversity more on people of color um, and on equity as it relates to our clean energy transition. But just the question is a reminder that we can't lose sight of it, right? We have to make sure that um, in a very intentional way and in a broader way than we're doing currently, we need to continue to make sure that we promote opportunities for women and ha have these resources available. That's terrific. And sort of as a final question, do you have any advice that you give to women who want to advance their careers and become leaders just generally? I, like I said before, like women often don't think of themselves as leaders. So like if someone's really excited about someday being a CEO, what would you tell them to, to think about or to do? You know, Emily, it's so true. It's, it's really interesting. There are kind of two stories that come to mind. One is um, in politics. Um, it seems that women have to be asked three or four times to run. And there's data that proves that out versus men who just kind of step up and do it. Um, similarly, I think that um, I once went to a class when my sister was at Harvard Business School and it was a leadership class and the professor was amazing and I was just sitting in. Um, but the professor talked about the fact that when men move from one job to another, they have a huge loss of productivity temporarily and then they get back to where they were or increase. Women don't have that. And she said, studies bear out that the reason for that is women don't have as good of a network as men have typically within their organization. So one piece of advice I would say is don't be hesitant to create a network, to reach out, whether it's women or men. I mean, I've spent a lot of my life working away in obscurity and not really thinking about creating networks, but I think it's really, really important that we do it. And then the point I wanted to make, Emily, and it's actually, I'm just stealing a point you made, which is as a fellow Gen Xer, I would never, ever, ever have reached out to any CEO or probably any corporate officer because I would have thought I was being a bother or that was inappropriate or whatever. Reach out. The worst thing that happens is they don't respond. The best thing that happens is you start getting to know them and you actually develop a relationship with someone that you can you know, use as a sounding board and maybe provide some opportunities. So don't be self-limiting. I love that. Thank you so much for spending some time with me this afternoon to talk about women leaders. I'm so inspired by you and the other women leaders in our industry. I was really excited last week to look at that board table and see all these women who are leading our industry and are as passionate as you are about some of our key challenges and opportunities, particularly within the climate space. It's been really fantastic talking to you. Thank you again. Well, thank you. And you are one of those women leaders. So thank you for being there as well. Before Emily brings in our next guest, I want to let you know that registration is now open for EEI 2022, our first in-person annual meeting in three years. This reimagined thought leadership forum will focus on the technologies, pathways, tools, and partnerships needed to continue reducing carbon emissions in our sector and across the economy. EEI 2022 will be hosted from June 20th to 22nd at the JW Marriott Orlando Grand Lakes in Florida. If you are committed to clean, EEI 2022 is the place to be. For more information and for registration, visit our website at eei.org. You can also find a registration link in this episode's show notes. We hope to see you there. Now back to you, Emily. 
Hi, Lisa. It's really great to be talking to you today. Um, I'm pleased to be joined today by Lisa Barton, who is Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for American Electric Power. And Lisa, in, in preparing to talk to you today, I was looking at your bio and the description of your job. And um, I'm not sure, is there anything for anybody else to do at AEP? <laughs> you know, it is, uh, it, it's, it's funny. I took the position, I guess it's been about uh, 14 months ago, and I've been learning tremendously all along. Uh, it's a great organization. We've got some really skilled individuals and great talent, so they make my job easy. But I think, are you one of the only women who serve as a chief operating officer right now in the industry? And what does that mean to be a chief operating officer? Uh, I mean, I think, no, I don't know, to be honest, if there are others. I know um, both Ken Green is CEO of, uh, you know, of Southern gas, gas yeah. operations and so forth. And she was COO, I believe, before that. Uh, but really, it's it's operational responsibility. So my team is responsible for the P&Ls of AEP's operating companies uh, and transcos. And we're just make sure that the lights stay on 24-7. I love that succinct way of encapsulating what is a really big job. Um, but I think, while maybe you're not the only one, um, it is unique to have women in more operational roles within electric companies. Can you tell me a little bit about your background? You you are an engineer by training and how you came to the industry? I am. You know, so it's funny. I <laughs> It really started with my appreciation and love of math and science. I always joke that I went to engineering school because I was trying to run away from English, French, and history. <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, I really gravitated to electrical engineering. And while I was there, I really liked electrical power engineering. And so that really started my passion for the industry. I had a, a wonderful professor by the name of Dr. Harit Majmadar, and he was just a wonderful mentor. He would take us out to dinner, pay the bill. And anytime we tried to reach for the check, he would say, you come back after your career is launched, and then you can take me out to dinner. And, you know, he really just grew in me and a number of others that uh, passion for the industry, the electric power program at WPI was five people. <laughs> it was pretty small. It was a small college. I love that story. I think mentors can really make the difference, particularly for women who choose to pursue math and science. I guess I'm the kind of person who I was running toward uh, French and history, <laughs> but um, and that's okay. It takes all kinds to run an electric company, right? Um, but, you know, how do you get more women interested in the more technical sides of the industry? Have you been involved in any programs that have focused on that or any, any tips or suggestions for women who are interested in the more operational side? You know, it's it's really starts with just making sure that women in their high school years and college years are exposed to these careers. I'll say this. I mean, I didn't know what an engineer did. I went to an engineering school with no idea what I would do on the other side of it because I didn't know any engineers. My parents were teachers and I knew just based on some of their frustrations, I did not want to be a teacher. <laughs> Um, and, but I think, you know, getting that exposure, uh, we have a lot of programs here that we focus with kids uh, in high school. 
And uh, we have a number of different internship programs, really giving them exposure to the industry, to the jobs, whether they be jobs in accounting, jobs in engineering. You know, it's really all about potential and how can you translate your love and appreciation, say, for math and science into a career? Unless your mother or father is in the industry, people really don't know much about the electric industry. We're one of those industries that people tend to take for granted. And so it really takes that outreach. One of the things that we've done at AEP is we have sponsored the WILL program. So it's women in line work. And we have seven women currently going through the program. And it's a it's a great program where we're really mentoring and giving these women the skills that they need to become line mechanics, giving them the confidence. So they're in a group uh, by themselves, they're learning to climb poles, they're getting their CDLs, they're talking with other women in the organization. Because I would say if there's one area in the industry that we are not making meaningful progress in and that we need to, it is our line mechanics. That's a great paying job. I mean, I'd take a line mechanic job over a waitressing job any day, right? And we just need to make sure that folks are exposed to it and so that they can understand that this is a great job to care for their families. I love this program uh, that you're talking about, Lisa. And I really appreciate the, the leadership you have shown in thinking about how to get women into some of those more technical operational jobs. And you specifically noted that it's a great paying job. I, I think one thing people don't know about the industry is that, you know, often without um, a whole lot of formal education, someone can come in, join one of our companies and make a salary that is life-changing, right, for their family and provide a lot of stability. Exactly. And, you know, I, I, we do a lot of great work with union partners and you don't often see women in those rooms, but we just did a, a meeting with some union partners earlier this month. I think you were there and I did see women in the room for the first time. Yes. So I feel like maybe you're making some progress. You know, I think we are as an industry. I really do. And I, I think one of the things that this industry brings is everyone in it, everyone who is associated with this industry cares so much about the communities and the customers that they serve. And I think that that resonates with a lot of women. And we need to get that message out more in the engineering ranks, in the finance ranks. I mean, this is this is just a wonderful industry and we're all fortunate to, to be a part of it because we're helping to build the lives of our customers and communities so that they can reach their potential. I, I, I'm definitely one of those people who had um, a leg up in that I knew about the industry because I am the the kid of a person who worked for an electric company, right? Oh, really? Yeah, I am. My, my dad worked at electric companies my whole life. And uh, so when I was graduating from law school and I was looking to do regulatory work, I would go to places and say, oh, I want to do energy work. And they'd be like, what? No one says that, right? <laughs> and they're like, nobody says that. What but um, <laughs> They're like, what's wrong with you? But um, it, it I did have this long-term exposure to that, that community feeling that you were talking about and the idea that you could make a difference in people's lives. So, but I, I just think it's wonderful that we're trying to get women into a different part of the industry um, and to get involved in some of those more technical jobs. Um, are there we're other- gonna have to learn from them too, right? So we're gonna have to learn what is it about the, the 
the job that you like? What, what is it about the job and the company that we need to maybe rethink to be able to attract more women? I, I do think at some point in time, I mean, we, we are seeing a shortage of line mechanics really across the company, or excuse me, across the country. And so we need as an industry to figure out how do we cast a broader net? How do we cast a more diverse net? Because we do need to figure this out. We know that we have an unprecedented growth trajectory in front of us. I mean, electrification, uh, the transition to renewables, all of this requires skilled labor to make happen. And we have to do it over a pretty accelerated time frame, something that we have not really seen in recent history. So this is where we're going to have to work with our partners as well, you know, our labor contractors, yeah, and, and make that pool of skilled workers more diverse than ever. So one of the only other companies that I've ever talked to that had a lot of women in the line worker field was uh, Con Ed in New York City. And I had this great conversation with their general counsel a couple of years ago about how one of the things they hadn't thought through was how to provide appropriate like break and restroom facilities for women out in the field. And that was actually harming their ability to retain workers. So sometimes it's just like really basic stuff that we have to think about to make a job accessible to a different group of people. And I thought that was really interesting that the one thing that was holding them up was, was something that we wouldn't necessarily think of. That is, that is a great point. Actually, that was something that we learned during the pandemic. When I was early on in the pandemic, I was visiting with a number of different crews around the Columbus area. And it was the fifth group. It took, <laughs> you know, every time I kept asking, you know, what can we do better? What do you need that you don't have? And everyone was pretty quiet. Everybody said they had the tools that they needed to do the job and so forth. And then the last meeting of the day, somebody spoke up and said, okay, I'm going to ask, we need restrooms. <laughs> You've locked us out of our buildings. We're going to uh, construction sites and using the facilities there. And that was just something that we had completely missed. So that's a great point, Emily. I just, I always remember that story because it's just something that you would think about that was actually going to make a difference as to whether or not they were going to retain women in a position that I'd never really heard of, you know, having a lot of women workers in. So another area that we also have to focus on is being a little bit more specific on what happens when you are pregnant. Are we going to treat this as a disability are, or are we going to map out a change in assignments? Things like that. Those are the things that we really are going to need to wrestle with going forward. Oh, I think that's a great point, making sure we can accommodate all sorts of people as they move through their family lives, too. I, I definitely think that's a thing that we're all thinking about a little bit more intensely and differently, also as a result of the pandemic. Um, so you are an engineer and we've been talking about doing more technical jobs, but you are also a leader um, as, a, as a chief operating officer and an EVP. How did you make that transition into leadership? You know, the way I think of leadership, it's, it's more of a state of mind than a title. Uh, you know, titles get you in the door and it may get you in a position to be heard, but leadership really involves people being willing to follow you. And at its core, I really think that starts with caring for others, fellowship, teamwork. It's all really rooted in trust. And, you know, trust is earned over time. And so I think, 
you know, the key to being a successful leader is being trusted by your coworkers, by your peers, always focusing on team success. I mean, there isn't any secret sauce. <laughs> There's no recipe that gets you to, uh, to rise in an organization. I think the more you're focused on solutions, the more you're focused on the team, the team success, the more you build a track record of success and working well with people. And I think in this industry, it's even more important because you know, we're regulated. Uh, it's, it's not enough to be successful within the walls of the corporation, but you also need to be a leader in the community. You need to be a leader with regulators. Uh, they need to trust you. And so I, I really do think leadership has its ultimate foundation in trust. And it's this simple as that. That's beautiful. I, I want to work for you now. I, <laughs> <laughs> Come on over. <laughs> but uh, do you think it's, it's harder for women in the industry to earn the kinds of trust that are necessary to become leaders? Do you think there's different things that, that they, different skills they need to develop? Or do you think it's sort of the same for everyone? And, and or is there something that we need oh. to be thinking about as we help women who want to become leaders develop that kind of trust? That's a great question, Emily. And I think we continue to be in a period of transformation. I still remember when I entered without at the risk of carbon dating myself, um, <laughs> you know, I, I was the only woman in the room, the only woman in the building, the only woman at a conference. Uh, and, you know, it, it's funny to think back to those days versus where we are now. And we're in a much, much better place. Uh, that said, there's more that we need to do. And I think the focus that a lot of companies, almost all companies are taking on diversity and inclusion is helping women to be more successful and to have that opportunity to shine and demonstrate their leadership capabilities. In a very male-dominated world, in a very engineering-focused industry, a very line-focused industry, it's really imperative for those leaders to be open to hearing from everybody in the organization and you know, recognizing it's not just one style, it's not one size fits all, and being willing to take a gamble on people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I will say you know, how I've gotten to this position is that pe people were willing to take a risk. Uh, I might not have been a known uh, entity and uh, I think that that's really what we need to do uh, across across the board. And it's not just for women. I mean, as people of color, uh, we need to make sure that we're being as open as possible and not just going with the same character traits of the person who had the job before, but to really see the potential in people. I think that's super important. I, I'm an extrovert, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> and so like, I don't have a hard time saying like, hey, that looks like fun. Can I try it? But uh, as someone who also has um, a much lesser leadership role in my organization than you do, I found it's interesting how many people need to be authorized. They need someone in a position like yours to say to them, hey, I think you could do this. Do you have any stories about how you help people like see their potential or, you know, make the kinds of uh, developmental changes needed in order to become a leader or to take on a larger role within a company like AEP? 
So one of the things that I always try and do is have a series of mentoring relationships. Most of them are fairly informal. I will uh, have maybe say five or six different people that I'm mentoring at any given point in time. And, you know, really, I, I just try and challenge them on moving outside of their comfort zone, uh, exploring and learning about other parts of the organization and encouraging people to not look at just one career path. It's not a ladder. It is not a ladder to get you to the highest levels in the organization. You really need to be positioning yourself and thinking about it almost as you would a undergraduate degree. You want that to be your foundation of growth. You want to be able to be viewed as having the abilities in a number of different roles, right? I mean, you're not just a quarterback. <laughs> you yeah. really want to be well positioned uh, to play special teams to some extent. And so those are the conversations that I have with folks. And I, I try and also make sure that they're having conversations with other people on the leadership team because it's important. I don't have all the answers. I wish I did. If I did, I'd write a book and <laughs> I'd retire. But uh you know, when you, when you have these conversations with a number of different leaders, so if you have a conversation with Julie, if you have a conversation with me, if you have a conversation with other women in the organization, you're going to be able to really put all of those puzzle pieces together for yourself because there isn't a one particular career path. Nobody should be trying to follow my exact path or Julie's path or anybody else's. They have to set their own. And I am a firm believer that you will be successful if you focus on your strengths. I had a uh, professor one time that had really focused on that. And they said, look, don't spend, you know, spend your time focusing on improving your strengths as opposed to your weaknesses, because no matter how much you spend focused on your weaknesses, you're only going to get marginally better at that. But if you focus on your strengths, you're going to really excel in those areas. And you know, those are the kinds of conversations I try and have with people. I think it's really great that you spend time, given all of your other responsibilities, mentoring folks who are interested in leadership or just looking for career advice. I, I was talking to Mary Kipp earlier, and we were sort of lamenting that at least generationally, it was so much more difficult for us to ask for that. Um, and so do you have advice for, um, for maybe younger women in your organization who are looking for guidance uh, as to like what their next steps could be or, um, you know, how to, how to make a transition within the company to try a new skill set? Do you have any particular advice for younger workers um, who might come to you seeking that kind of insight? Yeah, it's really reaching out and networking, right? It's the kind of things that we do every time we're at an EEI event. I think the wonderful thing and what we've missed with being virtual for so long is that you miss those hallway conversations. I mean, that's where, quite frankly, in my view, all the magic happens, right? That's where you're connecting with your peers. That's where you're learning from each other. And that needs to happen now in the workforce. It's one of the things associated with the pandemic, quite frankly, that concerns me. And what concerns me are some of the younger folks who have joined the organizations and they're working remote and they're not able to network informally. And I think that's something that we're going to have to focus on as a company and as an industry on creating some venues for them to be able to do that. Because, you know, look, you could have a number of conversations with me, with Nick, with Julie, but that's not in the end probably 
going to give you what you need. It's having conversations with people who are in different parts of the organization and just asking them, hey, what are the kinds of things that you focus on? What are the skill sets that you're looking for in this part of the organization? And then you figure out if that's something that you want. I think that's such a good point. Sometimes people say, they look at someone doing a job and say, that looks like an interesting job. And then they find out what that job actually is. And they say, oh, maybe I don't want that job. Uh, So I think it's, it's a process of refinement sometimes. Right. And sometimes it's taking a job that you don't want. I mean, I think one of the uh, jobs that I took on early on in my career is the one I did not want. So it was right after the NERC requirements became mandated and I was at Northeast Utilities and I was in charge of setting up their compliance program. I did not, <laughs> I was, uh, you know, that was something that at the time I really didn't have an interest in, but I learned an incredible amount from that experience. I mean, because you're just, you're, you're building a program from the ground up. People I think should be a little bit more open to things that they don't think they would maybe want to do. And maybe it's fine that they don't want to do it for the long term, but you'll learn by jumping in and you'll build that great track record for success. And that is what folks in leadership are looking for. They're looking for people that no matter where you put them, they're successful. They're problem solvers. They're bringing solutions to the table. They're not just identifying the challenges and why we can't do something, but they're talking about what we can do and they're making that vision a reality. They're executing. I think we almost have to end on that note, Lisa, because it was so, I think, such great advice. Um, be a, be focused on solutions. Look to get to yes. See if we can make it all work. I think that's such a great overarching statement about the industry. We have this, like, we got to keep the lights on. We have to get to yes. Let's figure it out together. Let's figure out how to, how to move forward in a clean energy space. And I appreciate your time and your leadership and and really your commitment to bringing other women into different parts of the business. So thank you so much for your time on this podcast today. It's always a pleasure talking to you. It's great to be here with you, Emily. Look forward to seeing you soon. Yes. In person. Yes. that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.